Welcome to the Purpose and Principles podcast. I'm here with my guest today, Doug Conant. Doug Conant is the former Fortune 500 CEO who is a New York Times bestselling author and top 50 leadership innovator and a top 100 leadership speaker, one of the 100 most influential authors in the world. Uh, devoted to corporate leadership practitioner and teacher, Doug's 45-year career has been defined by achieving high performance through an intentional commitment to studying, practicing, and improving, and spreading the tenets of leadership that actually works. And Doug, I'm, I'm grateful you could join us today because uh, you've just written a new book, which I would love to share with folks. And your message has always been very compelling to me. I've quoted you oftentimes, and of course, you know, we've had the pleasure of knowing each other for I don't know, almost a decade now. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and uh, uh, thrilled to be reconnecting with you uh, after, uh, after a few years. I, so I let's like... roll. Yeah, that's great. So the new book, right, The Blueprint, and you write six practical steps to lift your leadership to new heights. Uh, to kind of kick it off, why this book and why now? Why do you feel like this is the message that leaders need to hear today? Well, you know, I've been doing this work uh, for a long time I, as a uh, as a corporate practitioner. I started out at an entry level job at General Mills a thousand years ago, mm -hmm. and uh, went on to uh, work at Kraft, and then ultimately became president of the Nabisco Foods Company for uh, quite a while, and then CEO of the Campbell Soup Company for another decade, and then chairman of Avon Products in New York. And through this whole line, and then the last nine years as uh, writing and, and trying to be a thought leader around the area of leadership that works in the 21st century, as I'm talking to leaders today, I've seen a seismic shift in the sense that they feel so beleaguered by the environment mm -hmm. and the demands of the environment. Uh, my friends up at Harvard talk about the VUCA world, mm -hmm. volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world that's changing at an increasingly rapid rate. And people are caught up in that. Mm -hmm. uh, all these leaders, they want to do better, but they feel as if they're trying to get a sip of water from the fire hydrant of life every day. Mm -hmm. It's just washing over them. You, could, you know, the emails, the text messages, the phone calls, the meetings, the meetings after the meetings in the hallway, mm -hmm. and then, oh, you get a call from school and Johnny's not feeling well. Can somebody come pick him up? Mm -hmm. And then you've got your church commitments or your YMCA commitments and your kids have games. And uh, people feel overwhelmed by life. Yeah. And they want to do better. But the old, the old paradigms for learning and lifting your life and lifting your leadership to new heights require way too much time and effort to uh, to realistically uh, be helpful to you. Uh, you know, I talk to these leaders, they, you know, they're reading my Twitter, my tweets, but they don't have time. They, they're, they're struggling with how can I read a book or go to Harvard and get my executive degree? Uh, it's, it's just not going to happen for them. So I, we created this book to uh, to be a very practical approach that could help any leader lift their contributions to new heights in a way that's clear and, uh, and I believe compelling. Well, I appreciate that you would share that. It's interesting because I agree that leaders want to do a good job. And I don't think, at least most, don't go out to try to be malicious or to hurt their people or to hurt their teams. They want a good outcome as well. And yet, like you've mentioned, they're struggling. And do you feel like it's different than 
even today than it was when you were leading at Campbell's or at other organizations? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm just seeing this because so much more is coming at them. It was more paced when I was, uh, when I was working. Uh, mm. And uh, mm. it's all coming at them uh, at, at such an incredible rate. They're feeling overwhelmed. They want to do better. They know they owe it to their associates to serve them well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I believe that this leadership space is sacred ground. You're affecting people's lives as a leader. And you, you know, and you damn well ought to be doing the best you can. Mm -hmm. Sadly, the leaders I'm encountering all are starting to feel like they're part of this sea of victims. Well, what can I do? I'm just swamped. It's not me. It's the system. And, uh, and we try and help them get beyond that and identify, yeah, the system is challenging. What can you do within your circle of control to start to elevate your contribution profile in a way that'll fit in your crazy life? And as we get into that, they start to find these small things that they can do that can sort of transform their impact in a way that actually feels right to them and gives them energy to fight the good fight. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but it has to be repackaged because the old models just aren't working in these, with these crumbling hierarchies. One other thing I'd observe, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm sure you see this too, I talked to these folks and, and we talk about who they're working for. And it used to be, if you wanted to know how to do your job, you would ask the person you work for, but not anymore. Mm -hmm. The span of responsibility for these leaders has expanded to the point where they can't really help you do your job. They tell you, you got to go ask someone else. And so uh, the leader's ability to help you uh, get your job done has been diminished in the as well. So our, our leaders today are feeling, you know, very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. They need help. They don't know how to get it. And, uh, you know, as much as I admire the corporate training and development programs that are in place, they're not, in my opinion, uh, they're helpful, but they're not adequately tailored to the needs of the individual to really help them raise their own game. The only person who can do that is the leader himself or herself. And, uh, to really get traction with this. Mm -hmm. You've got to learn from the world around you and these training and development programs help in that regard. Mm -hmm. But you've also got to find a way that works uniquely well for you. And that's what this book is all about. It, it, and I appreciate that because it is really a workbook, if you will. It's not just um, uh, words on paper here. You're asking people to get excited about what they're reading and engaging in. And yet some people are going to say, well, we've talked about purpose before, but you're asking people to discover and rediscover this purpose because as you point out in the book, people think they have a purpose, but some of them can't really actually articulate it. Why is purpose so important? Oh my gosh. Well, uh, you know, first of all, you know, I'm going to way oversimplify here, but there mm -hmm. are two modes of leading. One is by the seat of your pants mm -hmm. and one is intentional. And by and large, in this sea of victims world we have, most people are just reacting to what's coming at them, and they're doing the best they can, and I get that. But, you know, it's getting harder and harder to be effective that way mm -hmm. because so much is coming at them. What we, what we challenge in this book for them is to get an intentional mindset that says, you know, I've got to be more thoughtful about how I'm approaching this because otherwise I'm just going to be reacting for my whole life. Mm -hmm. And, it, and so if you, want to, if you want to drive towards being a more intentional leader, 
more often. Let's be clear. You still have to react. You still have to do a lot of things by the seat of your pants. That's where my 45 years of experience comes in. Mm -hmm. You can't have the perfect plan. It just doesn't happen. You know, two thirds of your day or three fourths of your day is just doing the best you can with what you have in the moment. Mm -hmm. But then there's another third of your day where you can do better and where you can be a little more deliberate and a little more intentional. And we help you do that. The way you start is by saying, what is my purpose? Why do I choose to lead? And, uh, and we take you on an exploration uh, of your life journey and your leadership journey. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, we uh, talk about your life journey is your leadership journey. And as we, ha as we encourage people to dig into their, their life experiences and then to codify a sense of purpose, which we also know, that, and that's the first step, we call it envision. The six steps are envision, reflect, study, plan, uh, practice, and improve. Mm -hmm. And the first step is envision. What is your purpose and why do you choose to lead? Mm -hmm. And then on the heels of that, you start to build a plan. Uh, the other observation we've made, particularly in the corporate world, mm -hmm. is that we have a plan for everything. There's an annual plan. There's a strategic plan. Every project has a plan. Every uh, sales team has a plan. Every innovation team has a plan. If I talk to a leader about what, what's your leadership plan, you know, which arguably could be the single most important thing to you, uh, they don't have one. Mm -hmm. And it's like, really? You, can, you think you can run a business this way, but you can't, but somehow you don't need to do that in leadership in these trying times? Not good enough. Yeah. So you start the planning process with a sense of purpose. In my case, I, and, I've, and I've iterated around in this model a lot, but I've landed on what I want to do. I want to help build high trust, high performance teams that thrive in the face of adversity, that defy the critics, thrive in the face of adversity, that I'm, excuse me, I'm getting so excited about this, I can't contain myself. Mm -hmm. I want to help build high-trust, high-performance teams mm -hmm. that honor people, defy the critics, and thrive in the face of adversity. That's what floats my boat. And when I'm doing that, I find I, I measure everything I do against that sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, I can find a plumb line that connects whatever I'm doing to that purpose. And, you know, I get energy from it. I'm doing what I feel like I'm meant to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the leaders we train in my boot camp every quarter, when they define their purpose a little more clearly, it gives them a little more energy to go fight the good fight every day. And then they build a plan on top of that purpose. And the process starts to take hold for them in a way that's deeply personal. The plan they build based on the purpose is really a very personal, customized plan mm -hmm. because they reflect on their life journey and what they've learned from it. They study the world around them in a way that fits for them, works for them in bite-sized pieces. They build a plan that's customized just to help them lead better, that honors their beliefs as drawn out from their life journey and the study they've done. They create a simple, continuous improvement process. And in two days, they've already... Uh, developed a very practical approach that they can iterate through time and again to uh, to lift their leadership to new heights in a way that speaks uniquely to them. You yeah. know, I've done I've done uh, probably thousands of uh, 
I've worked with thousands of leaders at this point, mm -hmm. and no two leaders have the same plan. Mm -hmm. No two leaders, because their plan is totally customized to meet their needs at that point in time and honor their experiences and their aspirations going forward. No two plans are the same. Uh, but I think that gives it power because mm -hmm. it's your plan. It's not the, you know, I've been read, I've read thousands of leadership books and so have you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and there are elements. And I think, well, the seven habits, that was helpful in here and here and, and other pieces. I've, you know, I've studied all the leaders mm -hmm. and I learned things here and there, but nothing quite fits for me. Well, we help you design the plan that, that fits perfectly for you in your life as it exists today. And you do it in a couple of days. And That's what, remarkable. And once you have that purpose, as you mentioned a moment ago and you described your purpose, does it help you in terms of – and I, I mean I know it does. It's almost rhetorical. But how does that purpose help us to have better behavior? How does it help you to guide your day or to set your schedule or to influence others in a more productive way? When there's a lot of leaders that are saying, hey, you know, I'm worried about the end of this quarter. And frankly, I might only survive if I get if I if I miss these two quarters, I probably won't survive. Well, and if you make those two quarters the wrong way, you won't survive past the third quarter. Mm. Uh, that's a short term game that, you know, to, to, there's no evidence that anybody wins that game. Mm -hmm. Or if they do, they're remarkably lucky. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my observation is. You know, having a sense of purpose is the beginning, but it's not the end. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the key things we go through in, in the blueprint is a process we call declaring yourself mm -hmm. because people are not mind readers. They don't know what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to work with you. So one of the things we take uh, people through is this notion of declaring yourself. You have to sort of tell them what your purpose is and how you're going to behave against it. And you, that does two things. One, it, it, it holds you, it, it makes it more clear for them. They're able to follow you as a leader. Leaders need followers. Followers need clarity. They need to know where you're going. And, uh, and so when we, when we talk about purpose, we encourage you to create a purpose. And then we encourage you to share it with the people who are following you. And it, it helps them understand where you're going mm -hmm. and be able to follow you when you're not in the room, which is most of the time. And also, it creates an incredible sense of accountability for the leader. You know, I told you where I'm going. I guess I better perform that way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, when I, a thousand years ago, I, uh, uh, I was working with Stephen Covey. And I, my first year with Stephen out in Sundance, I did a, uh, you know, I was working on my mission statement, and uh, which is, you know, the, the first habit, being pro, the second habit, beginning with the end of mine. And uh, and I said, he said, well, are you going to share this with anybody? I said, I'm not ready. I'm going to, I'm going to work on it a little more. I'm going to share it with my wife. Mm -hmm. And so I went back a year later, and I'm back in Sundance in the fall. And he says, well, did you share it with anybody yet? No, I'm still working on it. Mm -hmm. He said, Doug, you're going to be working on this forever. The only way for you to get traction is to start to share it and then make it better. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you it's 80% right now. Mm -hmm. So I went back that year and I shared it with my wife. And all of a sudden, once I told her, I owned it, man. Mm -hmm. I owned it. Mm -hmm. Until I had told her, I didn't own it. I had good intentions and I would sort of follow them. But when I declared myself, 
with my wife around my mission, which wasn't, which wasn't perfect, uh, uh, I owned it. And so what we encourage these leaders to do is thoughtfully create your purpose. Be clear that it's not perfect, mm-hmm. but this is what you're trying to do and, sh- and share it with people. That's how you begin to develop credibility with others mm-hmm. because you then start to behave against that purpose uh, in a way that honors the purpose. And, uh, and then you begin to develop in the fullness of time credibility. Okay. Here's a person who does what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, then all of a sudden you start to build trust, you have credibility, and you have more influence with others. Uh, it's, it's, it's a powerful tool, this notion of thinking about things and then telling people what you're intending to do, uh, declaring yourself is a powerful notion. Yeah, and your leadership beliefs are kind of the foundation for that. So you, you have your purpose, then we build onto that your leadership beliefs, and as you say, then people need to make a declaration about what they're going to do. And then you get into, okay, so now we have to figure out how to plan or to study and, and practice some of these things. We have to actually do them to gain credibility, as you mentioned. So, right. And just, just if I can go back. Of course. The, the, your leadership beliefs grow out of your ability to reflect on your life journey and all mm-hmm. the things you've learned in life that apply to your leadership. And then we encourage you, don't stop there. Start to study the world around you and learn from people that you admire. Mm-hmm. And the one exercise we do in those two steps to tighten your core beliefs is we encourage people to build what we call their entourage of excellence, mm-hmm. people who can travel with them virtually wherever they go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maya Angelou has a great little story about rainbows in my clouds, and she talks about how all these people are with her all the time. When she goes up on a stage, mm-hmm. she says, okay, come on, you're all coming with me, and 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 I've I've got something to say, and you're going to help me say it. And as leaders, we tend to think that this is very lonely and it's all up to us. It it is only lonely if you let it be. And so as as you're starting to form your core beliefs, we encourage you to look at the world around you. I've learned from my my wife's grandfather, from my mother, from my Mm -hmm. wife, from Stephen Covey, Mm -hmm. from Max Brown, Mm -hmm. from all kinds of amazing leaders. And I carry you guys with me every step of the way. And we encourage leaders to do that. That shapes your core beliefs. So you now have a purpose. You have core beliefs, the things that you think leadership is all about. And then on the back of those two things, your purpose and your core beliefs, you actually build a plan and you build what we call a personalized leadership model that speaks uniquely well to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you, develop practices because this notion of practices, which is step five is mission critical until Mm -hmm. we get all the way to step five. All of this is conceptual and theoretical. Mm -hmm. It's what's going on in your head. We want people to start to develop practices that enable them to show up in a clear and tangible fashion and, and bring their leadership model and their intentions to life. Mm -hmm. In my case, uh, I, you know, I talk about some of the practices I do. I believe that and my model demands that I honor people and I inspire trust. Those are the two key pieces, key members of my Conant Leadership Flywheel. They're the axle mm-hmm. and uh, everything revolves around them. And so I have practices for bringing to life with people the concept of me honoring them and appreciating them. 
as I believe you know, I, I got known for writing handwritten thank you notes, mm-hmm. uh, 10 to 20 a day, six days a week for a decade at mm-hmm. Campbell Soup Company. Uh, I had a process where I found out what was going on every day, and I started handwriting notes to people who were over-delivering their commitments to the company, mm-hmm. uh, either in terms of time or sales or innovation or whatever. And I would I would drop them a handwritten note. And by the time I retired, somebody, I think it was a Forbes reporter, asked me, well, how many notes did you write? Mm-hmm. And it was 30,000. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we added them up, and we only had 20,000 employees, mm-hmm. wherever you went, you saw a note from me tacked up inside of a cubicle, handwritten, hand-signed. People knew I was paying attention. I was honoring their work. I was celebrating their their contributions to our company. And as a result, I was building trust. I had lots of little habits like that mm-hmm. that brought my leadership model and my core beliefs to life in a way that made them real. And that made all the difference in, in our company. We went from being the worst, the lowest in the Fortune 500 in terms of employee engagement at the beginning of the decade. Mm-hmm. In, when I started a decade later, we were the best in the fortune 500 and we were shooting the lights out in terms of record levels uh, uh, of engagement. So uh, that was one of many things, but those kind of tangible practices where you show up differently and you're signaling to people that you're paying attention, that you care, uh, they can be transformational. And by the way, those notes fit in the middle of my cockamamie day. They weren't long notes. Mm-hmm. But they fit into the rhythm of my life in a way that I could actually do them. And uh, uh, a lot of times we start these practices like when we start a diet after the holidays. You know, we have all these intentions. And then we're going to be on this grand diet. And it lasts maybe three weeks because it doesn't nest adequately in the cadence of our life. Yeah, yeah. What What we are very intentional about in step five is helping people develop practices that will nest perfectly in their crazy life as it is today. And that is in a way that honors the way they want to lead. And once they start doing this, they it's, it's energizing. It's not depleting. It's mm-hmm. energy giving. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned in the book that practice requires repetition but repetition alone is not practice, meaning repetition and practice yeah. are not the same thing. You mentioned that that repeating a behavior without intention, it's not reflecting how effective your behaviors are. And practically, and you practically may actually be counterproductive if you're not bringing your intention to life. So when you talk about your example of you honor people and appreciate people, Therefore, as part of your practice, you write thank you notes. And by the way, I also know that you don't do it. You don't just do it um, at Campbell's Soup and then stop. You, you're, this journey has continued for you. It's a practice that I've, I've been the benefactor of one of your thank you cards. And it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me that you would take the time to do something like that. And the little unknowns, the little things that you're not worried about whether someone is giving you credit or publishing it for you. You're saying, this is the way I want to live my life. This is my intention. Therefore, I'm going to practice it this way. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. And the, the notion, Jeffrey Colvin, uh, 
a decade ago, wrote a really good book. There are some other good books right now around habits and practices. Mm -hmm. But Jeffrey wrote a, a wonderful book called Talent is Overrated. Mm -hmm. and, he, and the premise of the book was about uh, the concept was deliberate practice, like thinking through, okay, what do I need to do and how am I going to develop practices that reflect how I want to show up? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he distinguished between the notion of practice and deliberate practice. I subscribe to that, but since then I've read uh, James Clear. Yeah, has done a real wonderful treatise on on habits, mm -hmm. and uh, as has a Dr. Robert Maurer from UCLA and B.J. Fogg from uh, uh, the one I most recently read mm -hmm. about tiny habits change, or changing your life, and uh, and I subscribe to that notion. You want to be thought. It's it's. I'm finding, I don't know about you, but I find, and most, virtually all the people I talk to, find that life has just gotten too complicated, and doing it by the seat of my pants is just not good enough. Mm -hmm. I have to think about what I'm doing in order to be more effective, because it's just, otherwise it's overwhelming. So what we help people do in a bite-sized way is think about what they're doing, and then we help them find a way to do it that honors the chaos of their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm listening in, in, I'm thinking about all the different things that you've taught over the years and how this all aligns up so perfectly to say, hey, listen, we understand you're busy. We understand that things are crazy. So let's be more intentional about living it more productively, even while it's crazy, right? And, yeah. and as we can much do as that. I would like to wave a magic wand and, and, and simplifies people's lives. We, we just know that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Every group I talk to, and we talk about how we spend time rolling around in the mess that we live in. Yeah. And then we, and then, then I ask the question, and how many of you think it's going to get better next year? Yeah. And not a hand goes up. Right. You know, we've all become somewhat fatalistic about this, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's only, there's a sense of it's only going to get worse. Yeah. And so, okay, well, if that's the case, how are we going to find our way through this in a way that is useful and productive? And this is my answer. Well, and in the book you, you specifically wrote, you said you can't become a world-class leader without being anchored in fundamentals of your craft, the craft of leading people. So people have to yeah, well, figure I, this part I, out, right? I mean, they can't just be complacent. Well, I, no, they can't. And and. As I go back, leaders need followers, and followers need to be will only follow you if you're inspiring their engagement. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I do believe leadership is a craft. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if you want to be good at it, you have to apprentice at it. You have to be a student of it. And in the fullness of time, you get better and better at it. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm. When I was just starting, uh, I was just doing the best I could with what I had, but it. I, I was an inadequate leader, but over in the fullness of time, as I started to reflect and work on it and, and, and realized that the key to success was making sure that everybody worked for me knew that I understood that I needed to tangibly demonstrate to them that I valued their agenda. Uh, if, if I was ever to hope that they would value our agenda as an enterprise. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just started focusing on that, on the people I work with, on the people and the more I focused on them, the more they supported our agenda and the better we did. This is not rocket science. Mm -hmm. 
you know, one of the interesting things, the most, the, the most, the thing that seems to get juices flowing more than anything else I teach, we have one exercise when we talk about, think about, we make leadership too complicated. Mm-hmm. And so what I say is, let's, who's, who in your life has had the most profound influence on you in your life? And everybody, I haven't closed their eyes, everybody thinks about somebody. And, uh, and then, uh, they had the most profound influence on them or one of uh, a person who's had a profound influence. And then they, we have them talk about that person with the person next to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and inevitably, uh, you know, they say, well, this person basically had, was tough on me. They had, they were, they had high standards and they cared about me. And when I needed help, they were there for me. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, that's really what we're trying to encourage you to do. What we're, you know, I can teach you, I can teach you the concepts of leadership, but if you behave more like those people with, with the people with whom you live and work, you're 90% of the way there. Mm-hmm. And, and then all of a sudden they get it. Oh, okay. I have to be more like that with everybody I work with. And, uh, uh, we all have these experiences where people have just had a profound influence on us. And all we really have to do is get out of our own way mm-hmm. and be more like that with the people with whom we live and work. And, and people get that, they can act on it and they can, they can bring it to life with those practices we talk. It's interesting because you brought us something up without, without actually saying the word, but I hear it in your voice and the stories you're sharing. And the word that comes to my mind is humility. And leaders, yeah. leaders need to understand that humility is not a bad word. You write about that in the book. Yeah, I have 10. Uh, the first half of the book is really uh, help, designed to help leaders sort of work through a process to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, if, and it works for all shapes, sizes. I do C-suite people and, and, we, and I do middle managers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, the second half of the book, we call it the manifesto. I have 10 foundational tenets uh, for leadership in the 21st century. One of them is humility. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and I subscribe to the Jim Collins work, his level five leadership work from a decade ago, mm-hmm. where all those good to great leaders that he chronicled, the differentiating factor for them to be a level five leader, there were two things. One was having a fierce resolve to get things done. They were very determined. And the second one was that they always brought humility to the work, mm-hmm. knowing that there were people that knew more than they did and determined to learn from them and leverage that learning to serve the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Humility, in my mind, is one of those 10 foundational tenets, and it's Michigan, mission critical. Yeah. Then I get into this discussion with people today. Well, mm-hmm. that's not how all of our leaders act. Right. And, and, and. You know, leaders come in all shapes, sizes, and they all do it differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what I'm advocating is what I believe the best way to lead is, and it resonates with people. Uh, it doesn't mean you're not tough-minded on standards. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you, you're not also tender-hearted with people. But it does mean that you, uh, you learn from the world around you, and you leverage that learning to make the world better. It's hard for me to imagine being able to do that in an enduring way if you're not demonstrating humility 
you don't have a kind of a growth mindset that says, I'm going to learn something today that will help me do better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. just doesn't work if you want to have enduring impact. If you want to be president for 48 years, maybe you can get away with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So it, essentially, it's just not sustainable if you're not going to lead in a way that people want to come along and, and be with you and that you recognize that there's there's power in that. There's power in having people around you that actually can do great things. Yes, there is, but they have. You have to have high standards for them. Mm-hmm. They have to have high standards uh, for the work. Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually harder in a way because you've got to be as tough as ever, mm-hmm. but you also have to be caring at the same time, and that's a hard that's a hard line to walk for many leaders today. It's hard to be tough and tender at the same time. Right. But I'll tell you, the best leaders are just that. Mm-hmm. Of tough-minded on standards and tender-hearted with people. Well, and and one of my favorite ways of or one of my favorite sayings that you share is just that. You also have so many others like, you know, leaders know what they want to receive but they don't know what they want to give or people are tired of the BS in PR. I mean, just so many great pieces that you've learned along the way. You say that leaders should lead with an urgent question of how can I help? Why is well, why is that I, so important? I, my life uh, you know, uh, when I talked my purpose earlier, mm-hmm. uh, I want the, the second, uh, the second or third word, uh, it's, oh, the first three words are, I intend, the first four words, I intend to help build high trust, high performance teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is I intend, which means I'm going to be intentional and to help is like the third and fourth word. I, I, Everything I do, I bring a how can I help mentality to. Mm-hmm. I had an experience in my life early on where I was fired and worked with a gifted outplacement person who every time he answered the phone would say, hello, this is Neil McKenna. How can I help? Mm-hmm. And this was before caller ID. Mm-hmm. He had no it was landlines, no caller ID. He had no idea who was on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. It could have been the plumber or the AT&T repairman. But Neil McKenna was there to help. And he started off every interaction with this, how can I help approach? Mm-hmm. I was so taken by the way he was able to work with other people uh, that I made that my own. And I've been approaching every interaction that way uh, since, uh, uh, since I worked with him, which was now over 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the foundational premise for our first book, New York Times bestselling book, Touchpoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all about how can I help. So I find that the more I help other, the more I focus on helping others. This is not rocket science. The more they focus on helping me, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it and it, it served me well for a long time. Doug, thank you for that. I. You know, we have a few minutes left here today. So many other questions I'm sure we could get into because when I think about the blueprint, the blueprint and the manifesto, and I walk through it, um, it helped me to define my my declaration, if you will, which I, I, I'm still reflecting about, but very, very, very enjoyable and a really fun process for me to go through. And as, as you mentioned earlier, we've both read a lot of books. I found this to be really helpful, and I enjoyed it because of exactly what you said. It's not a one-size-fits-all, but it's a journey that helps people to understand how to be better and that we do need to continually improve. 
and that that's just that's that's leadership mandatory like there's no question we have to improve you can't get complacent once you get to the you know senior leadership position that you've always aspired to in fact it probably requires even more learning with is that fair absolutely one of the other tenants we talk about in, in the manifesto is uh having a grow or die mindset i mean the mm -hmm. world is growing and changing all the time we have to evolve as leaders to keep up with it and to add value to it mm -hmm. so you know you uh, sadly you either you either grow or you wither mm -hmm. and uh we encourage all the people we work with choose the former it certainly beats the latter mm -hmm. and uh the uh this notion of uh you know choose growth is a powerful notion and it's more fun too mm -hmm. uh carol dweck out at sanford uh, has written a book on the growth mindset mm -hmm. and uh and she basically says in a nutshell if you think you can do better you often do so just bring that mindset to the work and all of a sudden you find ways to get better and that's very rewarding stuff yeah. And all of a sudden, you have a little more spring in your step. Uh, so this 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 growth mindset is another another very important uh, tenet for foundational leadership in the 21st century. So, is there something you learned um, specifically from writing this book that you could share with us? And and then maybe I'll conclude with this this paragraph at the end of your book, which I just thought was so succinct, so clean to summarize what you what you've done. But I want to get your your thoughts on. What have you learned as a result of writing this that has helped you in your own leadership style? Forget perfect. Mm. I have wanted to do the per I wanted to have the perfect mission statement. I want to have the perfect, uh, the perfect, most profound sense of purpose. I want to have perfect core beliefs. I want to be the perfect leader. Mm -hmm. And life just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. You know, you just you do you do the best you can. And then you try and make it better. And uh, as, as soon as I was able to let go of perfect and just try and do a little better every day, things started to work for me because that's the way life works. Mm -hmm. Life is built for continuous improvement. It is not built for having the perfect epiphany on how you want to lead. So out of all this work that we go through, the six steps and everything else, we very early on say forget perfect just do the best you can and go through the steps and and then make it better the next time and uh in that sense concept i would leave you with is that better is best mm. and uh and and that's a core principle in the development of the blueprint well i'm i'm really grateful for that you know at the end of the book as i mentioned a moment ago you wrote this piece i don't know if you have it there but um, it starts with, I can't think of a better legacy, but, um, I don't have it in front of me. Not a worried. I, let me read it. Cause I have the book right here in front of me and I've tabbed it, um, and highlighted it. In fact, your whole book has got tabs all over and sticky post-it notes everywhere. And <laughs> I've got all kinds of things in your book here, but it says, I can't think of a better legacy to leave than one of performance delivered thoughtfully achieved through contribution and kindness not through reckless self-preservation. There never has to be a choice between the two, between achieving victory in your professional pursuits and treating people well. You can and must do both, personifying a helper's spirit 
is the right way to do it right. Doug, I just want to say thank you for, for leading in this way and for sharing a message that really resonates with me and, um, and with a lot of leaders. But I hope that they'll gain more confidence having heard this message and having heard from you in, in a very compelling way that people can do this. We can lead better by treating people better. And oh, by the way, it doesn't mean that we're not expecting great performance. We actually get better performance by doing it this way. Well said. Couldn't agree more. Well, I am grateful for your time today, and I am grateful that you wrote this book. I encourage all of our listeners to get out there and buy a copy. And uh, until we meet again, Doug, I want to say thank you. Thanks again for joining us on this show. Happy to do it. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.